Well, looking at the study we've done, where we look at the DNA, all white shark in the world originated from an ancestral population that used to live in the Indo-Pacific Ocean. In, and I'm talking about 14 million years ago. From that period to the current day, white shark have been populating and uh, expanding on other places in the world, and specifically with a pattern that went from west to east. So from the Indo-Pacific that could go into the Atlantic through the Panama Isthmus that would used to be open. But then three and a half million years ago, the Panama Isthmus closed. And that separated the Pacific Ocean white sharks from the Atlantic white sharks. And from that population, we believe those animals colonized South Africa. And we can still read in the DNA those migration and those movement of ancestral white sharks, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, doctor, can you tell me about the purpose of your research? The purpose of the research was to address uh, three specific questions. First one being, how many population of white shark do we have in South Africa? Is it one or do we have little population for each bay? And the result of the study showed that we do have only one white shark population for the South African coastline. The second uh, aim of the study was to understand how our South African population fit into the global context. In other words, are South African shark exactly the same as Australian shark and Florida shark and so on? And from the preliminary result of our study, it appears that wild shark in South Africa are distinct from the other populations. And the third uh, part of the study was trying to see how healthy the South African population is. Because genetic diversity is a good indicator of a population health. The higher the diversity, the better the population is, is doing. But for white shark in South Africa, we discovered a very, very low genetic diversity. That was quite surprising considering that South Africa is regarded as one of the biggest hotspots of the world for those uh, specific animals. So their population has a very low genetic diversity, which will make their recover all their long-term uh, survival very, very difficult. And then, Doctor, in doing your, um, your, your study, what, what was the methodology? How did you conduct the study? Well, the study was kind of fun. The field work is, is, was great because thanks to the support of Michael Rutten and the cage diving company Shark Diving Unlimited, I could use a sailing catamaran, 42-feet sailing catamaran, to sail around the entire coastline. We went from uh, Fort Nolot all the way to Algoa Bay and back several times to collect over 300 samples from the animals that are still swimming in, the, in our waters. The idea behind the study was to look at the genetic diversity now of the sharks that are free-ranging around our coastline. That's why we had to basically spend months of the time at sea to collect those samples. The methodology was consisting in attracting the white sharks close to the vessel with a chum. We use a mixture of tuna fish and fish oil, something the sharks can recognize as food, 
And once they come close to the vessel, we would have take a photo identification of the dorsal fin, a good photo of the dorsal fin. It works like a fingerprint. Every shark has a different dorsal fin. And once the shark is identified, then we could take a little piece of skin using a long two-and-a-half-meter pole that sticks one centimeter under the skin, and when we pull, we have a little bit of tissue, which is enough for hundreds and hundreds of DNA analysis. So it was the same operation as cage diving. You attract the shark and you play with the shark with a piece of tuna and a rope to keep the shark interested around the vessel, otherwise they leave. And once it's closing now, we could take the picture, take the tissue. It's absolutely non-invasive. The shark didn't care much about our operations. They were just curious of what was going on. And then we go to the next shark. And then for you, what was the experience like um, engaging with all of those sharks? I know the sharks were great. Uh, Working with sharks is not like you will see in most of the TV show and documentaries. They are very skittish animals. They are very clever and very um, complicated. They are not those animals that everyone thinks that come around and bite everything. They're right the opposite. It took a great deal of effort to convince the sharks to come close enough to get uh, our sample. What was uh, challenging was working around the South African coastline. I'm Italian originally, and now I discover why they used to call it the Cape of Storm. You have big storms around here. So the sea was definitely the scary part of the whole uh, adventure. The sharks were super nice. And Doctor, can you tell me what was the period of, of your study? When did you start and when did you complete? I started the PhD in 2011, and I completed it in 2015 in March. However, we start, I started working with Michael Ratzen since 2009 to collect all the photo identification of the sharks and start knowing how to work at sea. And it was my luck to work with such an experienced person. Uh, there are some things about those animals and that sea that we really cannot study on books. And working on Michael Ratzen's experience was the real deal. And then can you tell me about some of the other findings that you, that you came up with um, from the study? Other findings. It's interesting to see that we only found those four maternal lineages in South Africa. In uh, Australia, we have over 20 of those. We are not supposed to have only four. And like 89% of the sharks, which is a lot of them, belong to the same lineage. So the diversity is very low. But the other very interesting thing is that we have one lineage here in South Africa that doesn't connect with any of those others in the world. So that can be the result of a past um, big diversity where there were so many lineages and so diverse between each other that they were very, very distinct. And now only four, four survived, and one of them is, uh, show how distinct they used to be, if that makes any sense. Or another reason for it could have been that all the sharks got extinct in South Africa in, during glaciations, and then our coastline was recolonized from populations that came from other places in the world. And they were used to be separated, now they're living together. So looking at the DNA is like discovering what is the history behind a species. You, you can read it there if you know how to read it. Genetic diversity is, 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 is easy to understand. 
if you have a species where every individual is really, really different from the other, and you have a disease that comes, you will have some individuals that will die, but some of them, because they are different and the DNA is different, they will be able to cope with the disease. The one that copes with the disease will be able to then reproduce, and the next generation will still be around. So the species survive thanks to the diversity, thanks of the, to the differences you will find inside the population. If a population don't have this option, don't have diversity, and you have a disease or climate change or something happened, and all of the individuals in the population react exactly the same way because they have the same gene, then you will have probably an extinction. None of the, there is no enough diversity to get some individuals to survive and give, uh, to the, give birth to the next generation. So that is how it works. If you have option and you have a disease, the healthy option will survive, make the species survive. If all of the individuals look the same and you have a disease, they will all die, if that makes sense. What can conservationists or we as people do to try to save them? Conservations on paper are already in place for white shark. South Africa, luckily, was one of the first countries that made uh, white shark protected. And we have a very nice industry of ecotourism, of people that brings tourists to look at the sharks alive. So those things are already helping the situation. However, white sharks are top predators. So we cannot just protect them without protecting their food or their environment. What we can do is be aware that if we don't get proper protection or management on their food, and their food are other sharks and other fishes, uh, marine mammals, but mostly other sharks and other fishes, if we don't manage that correctly, we are going to starve the white sharks. If we pollute the water too much, those animals will accumulate the pollutant in their body because they are on the top of the food chain and that will also create problems in the long term. But also um, beach protection measures. We are still using, in part of our coast in Kazulu Natal, we are still using baited hooks and uh, gill nets to trap the sharks and protect the people that go on the beach. Those kind of measures should be, um, these technologies should be changed. We should use something that is more eco-friendly, something that doesn't necessarily kill the sharks to protect the people. So there is a lot, a lot we can do, I believe, and also informing the people that we need to take care of our sharks if we want to have a healthy ocean is going to also be helpful because most of the people still think that sharks are the evil man-eater that should be eliminated from our system, but they are instead very important for the environment.